0: Did you know that you have way more control over your mind and body than you might even expect? You have control over your mindset, what you choose to think about, what you choose to focus on, what you choose to learn about. You have cues in the environment that you can either decide, I'm going to pick up on that or I'm not going to pick up on that. It's called your reticular activating system. All of that mindset work goes into different brain waves, how your brain functions, and it goes into which chemicals are released. Are the happy chemicals released or the stress hormones released? Now, it's hard to believe that you have control over your mind, but that's what yoga and yoga therapy are teaching you to do. And as I talk about in this episode, it could take a long time to learn how to do that. In my previous life, I was a sports psychologist, and that's what I taught people to do in sport. But what I realized is that yoga therapy is the same thing for regular people and training them on how to control their own mind. I'm working with an athlete right now as a sports psychologist slash yoga therapist, And whenever his mind does a particular thing that we no longer want it to do, he has to text me and tell me, okay, I just did it. And so I'm getting multiple texts per day. And the idea is that we can start to reduce that number, that he'll start to see it coming. He'll see the thoughts coming and change direction before it actually happens and he has to text me. So I haven't gotten a text in two days. That's really good. And it's not to say we're looking for perfection, but it's just a way to assist him in his sport to understand he has way more control over his mind, which then affects his physiology. And that's really the important part. We don't want his muscle tension to be increasing. We don't want his blood pressure to go up. We don't want his body to tighten and him to start thinking negative talk and having self-doubt. So we're trying to catch it early. And even though I'm helping him learn how to do that in sport, we can help you do that as just a normal everyday person. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Mala Cunningham. She is a master at what we're talking about today, been training people to do this for decades, and now we have the neuroscience to support that it actually works. So welcome to Mala, and I really love this episode. It gives so much hope for the future if we're willing to put in the effort. Okay. Okay we'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour. My name is Amy Wheeler and I'm your host. The Yoga Therapy Hour is here to support you on your mental, emotional, and spiritual journey. We talk about things like nervous system regulation, spiritual connection, how to be more involved in your community, how to communicate well, how to manage your mental health, There are so many things that we are excited to share with you in season five of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast, and we hope that you will share it with your friends, family, colleagues. All right, let's get into today's episode. Welcome Mala Cunningham to the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you, Amy.
1: I am really excited to be here and share some thoughts about this topic. So, yeah.
0: Mala, where are you located? Our listeners, I always like people to know where we are coming from. Sure, absolutely. I'm in Charlottesville, Virginia. Mm, And this week, I'm in Minnesota, very near to Minneapolis, Mississippi River, in a little town called Red Wing. So, I'm at an Airbnb. Wonderful. Tell us our topic for the day and your area of expertise is neuroscience, mental health, and yoga. So, what does that even mean? I mean, for some people that just hearing that is like,
1: okay, that's a lot. Yeah, I could understand why some people might have that perception. But honestly, the field of yoga, neuroscience, and psychology beautifully intersect with each other and sometimes it's just a matter of semantics you know yoga might use one word psychology might use another and the beauty is that neuroscience explains how and why yoga works and how and why psychology works, like what's happening in the brain or what's happening in our neurobiology as we're doing self-care practices, whatever yoga practices or other types of practice that someone might do, really the bottom line is that neuroscience explains and helps us to really understand as well, gives us agency over what we're doing. So, we can develop a better capacity for resiliency, for self care, for self regulation. When we're flipping into anger or depression, we know how to start to regulate better. So, it's a very exciting time right now because, you know, with the advent of new technology, we can see so much better into the brain. And we can see what parts of the brain are lighting up under different types of practices, breathing practices, certain types of attentional practices, or certain types of yoga practices. So it's just, again, a very, very exciting time.
0: You know, even 20 years ago, we didn't have any of this. I mean, I think it was there, but I was listening to a podcast called The Hidden Brain with Shankar Vedant I was interviewing Richie Davidson, which is a neuroscience researcher from the University of Wisconsin. And they were just talking about how, you know, when people like you and Richie were in graduate school, people were telling them, whatever you do, don't go into studying the mind with neuroscience because they didn't believe that it was a viable option for a career. And now look where we are. I mean, it's just shocking.
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole field of neuroscience is literally exploding right now. And again, it's it's such a powerful intersection between neuroscience, psychology, and yoga, because what we're looking at is we're looking at the whole idea of mindset training related Mm -hmm. to peak performance. So how do we develop mindset training what tools and techniques do we use to internally have peak performance as well externally? How do we lead our lives, have a certain lifestyle where we are at peak performance in whatever it is we're choosing to do? And we used to think, that peak performance was just something that you did externally, related to sports or you know any of those kind of activities. But now we know that the more we have the capacity to work with self-care or resiliency, the better able we are to be grounded, to be fully sort of in charge of our lives and reducing anxiety reducing stress overcoming depression and all of those kinds of things
0: so many ideas just came to mind and i do want to say that this idea of resiliency training and and really working on your internal peak performance some people say well we can't do that we're in a dysfunctional system and that's unkind to just put it all on the individual. And I just want to make sure people know we're not saying that we shouldn't also work on it systemically. They both need to be happening. But the thing that most of us have control over is deciding that we're going to have a certain mindset and we're going to do our breathing exercises and we're going to meditate once or twice a day. And we're going to go for walks in nature. I mean, those are the, the very practical things that, each person can do for themselves, hopefully. There obviously are exceptions to even that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is that everybody, everybody on the planet finds ways to cope. Sometimes that coping is unhealthy and people will reach for drugs or alcohol or that glass of wine after work to take the edge off. And there's nothing wrong with occasionally having a glass of wine or whatever. But see, the thing is, is that those coping strategies eventually will catch up to you. So whether we're overeating to sort of take that anxiety edge off or that depressive edge off, whatever it is, eventually it's going to catch up to you in ways that we really don't want it to. And so I always encourage people to think about what are some self-care techniques that are healthy coping strategies and not unhealthy coping strategies. And that's really what we're looking for. How do we move forward in each day, having a mindset around things like, this is just one example, what has been my best moment or moments so far today? Identifying those types of things are part of our coping strategy. Because if we can identify just, again, very small things like, Petting my cat was a nice moment. Having a nice cup of tea was a nice moment. Or talking to a friend was a nice moment for me. Whatever it has been, it's so important for the mind to identify that best moment or those best moments. And that really just helps us to have sort of a top down as well as a bottom up. Strategy, in other words, mind to body, mind to nervous system, as well as strategies, body centered strategies or tools to then also impact on our mind and our emotions, our anxiety, our depression, whatever it is.
0: You know, I think people underestimate, as you say, the best moment or the best moment of this hour. You had quite a few good ones there. Yeah, I think people think, well, that's just mumbo jumbo in your head. You're kind of faking it till you make it, or you're. They don't understand that you're actually training your neural pathways to go down a new road and feel better and have a feeling of well-being. And then here's the real beauty: that becomes your new belief structure. Yes. All those moments over time become a new belief structure. Yes. So. It's not a small thing. And honestly, I don't think it's that easy to do when you're exhausted and overwhelmed and not feeling well. It's actually quite a bit of work to be like, wow, ah, long exhale. I'm just going to sit here for a moment and enjoy my kitty. Absolutely.
1: And you're right. It's not necessarily easy, but sometimes it is easy. Mm -hmm. But really the bottom line is how do we build the bricks of the internal foundation that we really want to live by? What is the philosophy that we are choosing to live by? What is our lifestyle that we're choosing to live by? Because that makes all the difference in terms of changing our neural pathways. So if we want to shift just for a second into understanding that concept, we used to not know and not understand or believe that the brain had any or the mind had any capacity to change neural pathways to change the physical structure of the brain or to impact on things so now we know through the advent again of new technologies such as the fmri the qeegs and so on we can see into the brain we can see that having certain mindset training, certain thought patterns that we're attempting to shift over has a definite impact on two things. One, the structures in our brain, so that the amygdala, for example, we know through research that the amygdala, when it's not as active not as used as much the amygdala is sort of like the threat center in the brain it's assessing threat in our environment and if there's a lot of threat through trauma or whatever there's a lot of neural pathways that get built into the amygdala to keep it active keep us alert keep us quote safe and non-threatened in our environment we we get into a hyper vigilant place in other words so doing thought revamping, or in yoga it's called Pratabaksha thought revamping from negative to positive thoughts, we know that that has an immediate effect on a chemical release in the body, Mm-hmm. an electrical sort of release pattern that happens in the brain we know that positive thoughts activate things like GABA which is gamma amino acid and we know that that affects those levels into the cellular structures of our body in a very positive way so even small little drops of acknowledging our positive moments or acknowledging that we've done something well or acknowledging, you know, I look good today or, you know, my hair looks nice today or I like this outfit is helpful. And acknowledging other people also, you know, having that sort of pro-social engagement of, empathy or compassion for other people same thing the body is responding with all of those kinds of things happening
0: i just love what you're saying because when we're training our optimal state yoga therapists i feel like we are training them to be friendly and appreciative empathetic kind to each other in the sangha to their mentors and faculty and then obviously we try to bring that back to them like I feel a big part of training a yoga therapist is doing exactly what you're saying. And it's not easy because people are, they're thinking, Oh, I got to learn the tools and techniques when really my goal is, can we get you to be a happy, healthy person and then pass that on because that emotion of someone showing up with their face lit up to see you and a smile and a kindness that goes further than anything. I think.
1: Yeah. I still remember back in the 70s when I began my practice of yoga, one of my yoga teachers said that lasting peace and happiness are already inside of you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to make it or create it happening, it's already there. It's like our birthright. And of course, we all grow up, we're all socialized to think and engage externally for happiness. You know, that house is going to make me happy, that that partner, that job, whatever it is, that's going to make me happy and or feel fulfilled. And the truth is that I remember so distinctly when one of my yoga teachers said that and it was like a light bulb went off in me that, wait a minute, you mean I will practice yoga and then I'll hit that foundation that's already in me of peace and happiness? I can actually find that in me? And it's like, wow. And the thing is, is, yoga asks us to flip the narrative that we're socialized with, that happiness is external. Yoga asks us to flip that narrative internally and find that peace and that happiness internally.
0: And I mean, you've already mentioned, you know, how that actually changes the nervous system and the the brain. But I think it also changes how you perceive the world it's like inside out and outside in that once you get into that mode you actually your reticular activating system picks up different things from the world it's searching for goodness and kindness and sweetness instead of attack and i'm not good enough you know because it's all out there for us to pick up on it's what does our brain decide to choose to pick up on
1: Exactly, And, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up because to make sense out of this, the way that I explain it to my students is that we have two tracks going on within our system all day long, all day long. So an example of that is that at around 10 or 11 o'clock at night, our cortisol levels go down. And our melatonin levels go up. Melatonin is a sleep hormone. Cortisol is an activating hormone in the system. In the morning, at around seven, eight o'clock in the morning, our melatonin levels start to go down and our cortisol levels go up. Cortisol is an alerting hormone and in the right range. We absolutely need cortisol, or we would have no energy. Mm. We would have no alertness. We would have no energy. And I think sometimes cortisol is given a bad name because everyone thinks it's a stress hormone. Mm. And it's only a stress hormone when it is flooding our system, when it's over-activating in the system. And then, yes, cortisol is definitely a stress hormone that ramps up the body in terms of dealing with threat, you see. Mm -hmm. But the intersection of yoga and neuroscience, what it so beautifully teaches us is that we can be in the driver's seat in regulating pleasurable hormones, or we can activate... Stress hormones as we need to. So, one of the things that's just so, so important is having the awareness of when we're moving into a threat zone. So, a color coding kind of thing can be so helpful. So, for example, the red zone, we are full blown in. A stress response. Our cortisol levels, our adrenaline, noradrenaline, epinephrine, all of those things are off the charts. We're in a high stress zone, high stress situation. The orange zone is you're still stressed and you have the potential of managing it, but it's still not great. You're still like, you know, angry or upset or whatever. Then there's the yellow zone, which is pretty much the way we all start our day we're ramping up but we're not in that toxic red zone or you know a dysfunctional orange zone so yellow is just sort of beta brain waves we're operating through our day we're alert active and so on and then there's the green zone which moves us into alpha brain waves we're starting to calm the system down. We're calming the brain down. We're starting to activate calming hormones. And I use the acronym DOSE to describe four of the more common calming and pleasant hormones: and that's dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. So, doing the yoga practices as well as the mindset training and the mental practices of yoga activate those calming hormones, thus lowering high cortisol levels and adrenaline levels. So, you can't have both happening at the same time. It's like a gas pedal and a brake. And we get to choose how much pressure we're putting on the gas pedal how much stress hormones are entering the body or we put the brake on and sometimes we can put the brake on too hard and Mm -hmm. so we can't move and that becomes the other end of the continuum of kind of like a dysfunction in our system because at that point we're in immobilization or Mm -hmm. clinical depression from yoga it's the tamasic energy at the other end of the continuum is the rajasic energy where we're overactivated. that middle point in yoga is called sattvic and in neuroscience it's called the ventral vagal complex of the parasympathetic nervous system so this end sympathetic over arousal and then rajasic energy and we slowly come down that continuum this end we're in tamasic energy, lethargy, immobilization, clinical depression. And then we slowly come down that end of the continuum. And sattvic energy is a range. It's not a line of demarcation. And that is where we feel, because we've activated these Hormones, the dopamine, the oxytocin, the serotonin, the endorphins. We have balanced the gas pedal and the brake pedal. So there's this nice balance of feeling good. And it happens through the practices. It happens through intentionality. So in yoga, it's called sankalpa. In Western psychology, it's called intention. It's called mindset training. It's called having goals and objectives and being clear about what the outcomes are by implementing certain goals and objectives for regulating stress, for regulating an overactivation of cortisol. So, flipping back to the color scheme. <laughs> We have red, we have orange, we have yellow, and we have green. These all correlate with different brain waves that are happening, you know, as we intentionally create that. But then we also have what I call the lilac zone, mm-hmm. which is where we are in a nice quiet, deep brainwave pattern that is alpha brain waves. But Kind of high theta, which is sleep, and deep into alpha, which is a deep relaxed state, which is so, so beautiful.
0: So, Mala, I want to give an example of this because when you don't know that you have control over the dial of your nervous system and your mind and your hormones and all the things you're talking about, it sounds very mystical. Like, what do you mean? I have control. My thoughts impact my hormones and my brainwaves. Like it almost doesn't sound real, but neuroscience is proving all of this. So there was a time where I was just reactive. I didn't know that I could even control myself. I was a victim in my own life. So that was many years ago, thankfully. Then there came a time where I heard someone say something like you're saying, and I thought, is that for real? Can you really do mindset training and intentionality? And can you really kind of be the observer of your life and, and watch yourself either reacting or choosing not to react and trying a breathing technique or adding a little extra yoga nidra or meditation that day? Like, Whoa, then I started doing it and seeing the results and feeling like my goodness, this is amazing. I can reset myself any time of the day. And now, now, the beautiful part is I can watch myself wanting to react. Mm, yeah. And get in the spin. And I can say, sweet honey, don't go there. Please don't, please don't cause that cascade of hormones in you right now. Please don't cause that muscle tension. This is not worth it your time, your energy, your focus, like let it go, sweetheart. And I I call it actually taking the cat claws out because, you know, you know how a cat grabs onto a piece of fabric and they get their claws stuck in there and they can't pull them out. Yes. So to me, it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm starting to get my little cat claws stuck, but I have the choice to pull it back and say, Oh, D link. All right. Happy thoughts, mindset training. I got this and not even go down that road. Which it's, is amazing. Yeah, it's you said that so
1: beautifully. And I would like to emphasize this takes time. Yes. It's, that took me a decade right there. Yeah. It takes time. But every single drop that someone puts into this process makes a huge, huge difference in how they feel, in how they, you know, enjoy their lives or not, how they can pull off unhealthy coping mechanisms and strategies and things like that.
0: One drop at a time really makes all the difference. I think the turning point for me was taking myself out of the kind of capitalistic go, go, go. fill every hour of the day, pack it full. Like when I decided to let go of that rope, and go into what I think you're calling the lilac zone where I take times during the day for intentional rest. Sometime this afternoon, I'll go into my bed and lie down for 30 minutes and do an optimal state yoga nidra and like completely change my physiology, my brainwaves, my reactions. Like it just does it in 30 minutes now. So tell us about the lilac zone. What do you know about that? I love the term by the way. Yes, I know. I I like that also.
1: Sometimes my days are so packed and busy, you know, with clients or meetings or whatever, teaching. Sometimes my days are so busy with clients or teaching or meetings, whatever I'm doing. And when I'm seeing clients back to back, I have maybe 10 to 12 minutes in between clients And I have literally trained myself to take a lilac bath or rest, whatever you want to call it, in those 10 minutes that I have. And so I will set my alarm in my office for 10 minutes, and I will just drop down step by step by step by step. And I can feel that release of whatever stress or tension has built up. And in that lilac zone, really what we're doing is we're training our brain to drop into the alpha brainwave pattern. Mm. We use breathing to do it. We use intentional relaxation to do it. And we, one of the things that I do, one of the techniques that I use is I think about a screen over the top of my head, and the screen is coming down through my body, my nervous system, my energy body, and it's picking up all of the stress points in my system and just dropping it, gathering it, and putting it back into the earth. So I'm cleansing
0: and calming and soothing my nervous system. And I think that's the beauty, right? There's so many different visualizations we can use. There's breathing techniques, there's images, there's sound. I tend to need a voice talking very slowly with gaps in time. That's soothing, right? So... As soon as I hear that, boom, I drop in. Yeah, you're you're putting me in in (laughs) talking. (laughs) That was so beautiful. not yet. Wake up, wake up. I know I (laughs)
1: can feel my brain going, Um. yeah, that was beautiful. And you know, just these little types of techniques, because I really do reset in those 10 minutes, you know, and it feels so good just to take that moment and have our entire brain have rest but also we can do simple little things that are so wonderful like in the morning when we wake up there's that space between deep sleep and then we're coming into consciousness and we're lucid but we're still kind of in that sort of drowsy theta brainwave state at that time that's such an important time to intentionally, and again, takes practice that every morning when you wake up, I do what is called kiss. Mm -hmm. Asking myself, what can I do today to be kind to myself? What can I do today to be inspired? Mm -hmm. What can I do today to strengthen myself? And what can I do to spiritualize my day? So right away waking up, having that powerful insertion into the brain allows a better way to embed. Then I get up, and the first thing I do, I splash cold water on my face. Why? Because that activates the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve makes up approximately seventy five percent of the parasympathetic nervous system. Then I expose my eyes to sunlight. Like you don't want to look directly into the sun, but you want to open the drapes and you want to expose your eyes to sunlight because right there, that activates serotonin in our system. So there's all these little hacks and ways that we can easily insert these things into our lives. It doesn't have to be this big hour-long practice of yoga or breathing or meditation. Actually, research has shown that 13 minutes a day of meditation and focusing the brain is enough to change the neural pathways in the brain from negative neural pathways more positive pathways
0: that's it 13 minutes a day that's not very much we should be able to find 13 minutes i'm not saying it's even easy i know there's mothers of three children out there that right 24 7 job right that's exactly we have to advocate for ourselves we have to tell the the partner if there is one i need 15 minutes and. Under no circumstances will I be interrupted. You know, there's ways to set boundaries with our families and our colleagues. and everything that you're listing, it doesn't cost money. Mm-mm. You can splashing water on your face, anybody can do that to activate their vagus nerve. Letting the sunlight come on your face and in your eyes early in the morning for a few minutes. that is available to all of us. And Again, I think we underestimate the profound changes that can happen both right in that moment to Mm. have this cascade of hormones, but also over time, this cumulative effect sets your nervous system up on a whole new level. Absolutely. And, you know, I still
1: remember when I was first practicing yoga, when I first was exposed to these concepts... I was working at a private psychiatric hospital and I remember one morning when I was running late and I had things planned and I had meetings that I had to be to and things like that. And I remember I had to stop and get gas and that kind of raised myself up into that orange level or that color code. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to get there. I have to hurry. I remember clenching the steering wheel. And coming up to a red light, I noticed that my hands were clenched on the steering wheel. And I went, wait a minute, I'm going to relax my shoulders, my arms, my hands, I'm going to relax my whole body, because me clenching is not going to get me there any faster. So I'm going to protect myself, I'm going to protect my energy from an onslaught of stress hormones, and moving into that orange red zone. I'm just going to relax. I can still have my foot on the gas a little more than I normally might. And I'm going to get there just fine without all that contraction. So that was so helpful.
0: I had that happen yesterday. I was driving here (laughs) in Minnesota on strange roads and, and I thought, what are you doing? Why are you clenching? This Mm -hmm. is supposed to be fun. (laughs) It's just catching yourself. Catching yourself what you said about protecting i call it protecting your mind i believe we need to do that all day long protect your mind by catching yourself going into these habitual patterns of thinking that are not helpful protect your mind from really aggressive vexatious people absolutely I put up with that i i just moved out of an office because i was like Yeah, I don't like being stressed out regularly by my office colleagues. (laughs) I think I'm going to get out of my lease. You know, like we have to work at protecting our mind. Yeah, for sure. And figuring out where
1: our boundaries are and being willing to say no or willing to say yes. And I always tell my clients, if you're saying yes to something, Or being a people pleaser and you're saying yes, you're saying no to something else. And if you're saying no to something, you're saying yes to something else. So if you're saying no and you're setting a great boundary or a good boundary, you're saying yes to self-care and self-respect.
0: And more space in your life, your mind, for the right thing to find you and come in.
1: Yeah absolutely
0: it's okay when people leave our lives that we're taking up more space than we had to give because again you can be quiet with yourself and enjoy your own company and then hopefully a better match mentally emotionally and spiritually will will flow in at some point
1: yeah absolutely and one other thing that i think because i feel like i want to take this like to another place that I think is really important in terms of navigating our lives. And that is, this happened, I think, maybe a year or two ago, where I had this dream where it was so simple, and it was very sort of brief and short, but it felt like some kind of a message, to be honest with you. Because in this dream, one of my spiritual teachers came to me, and it was very simple, And she said to me, two words, keep quiet. And it wasn't long after that I woke up, and that energy and that message was amazing. And it's on my bulletin board. I have it around for reminders, and I think about it every day. How can I work with the concept of keep quiet? Because if I keep quiet, I can listen in to my intuition. I can allow myself to be guided. I can be more receptive to hearing what other people say. Um, when I'm playing sports, practice keeping quiet. I don't have to get all entangled in everybody else going, come on, let's do it. Let's do this. Get that ball, run, you know, whatever. It's like, okay, just keep quiet protect my energy so i don't have to necessarily engage if somebody is being negative no keep quiet and it doesn't mean that you don't speak up when it's important so i'm not saying keep quiet across the board but i am saying keep quiet because if we quiet ourselves we can listen in to deep inner guidance and There is one story that I wanted to share because I think it is so powerful. And this is a true story. And it happened several years ago up in New York. There was a couple that were moving out of their apartment They lived on the third floor. They were bringing their furniture down, putting it in a van, taking the elevator back up, coming back down, and so on. And they had made a decision. They were going to bring their mattress down as the very last thing to put it in to protect the furniture, and then they would close the door of the big moving van. And when they finished and they went to get their mattress, they were coming down in the elevator, and the elevator got stuck. So they were in the elevator with their mattress, stuck there for 20 minutes. And they were like, oh, my God, what's going to happen, you know? But it was fine. The elevator started again. They came down. They had the mattress in their hands, ready on the sidewalk, ready to put it in the truck. And there was a disturbance in the building next door. And there was a toddler out on the balcony teetering and the mother screamed and as the mother screamed the toddler fell and the people the couple had their mattress in their hands and ran over and the toddler fell on the mattress no harm no injury nothing now we have to ask ourselves how did that elevator stay stuck for 20 minutes? at the exact timing for when the toddler was going to fall off that balcony.
0: You know, people can say these things are a coincidence, but they are not. Space and time are not linear. Right. You know, last winter, I was driving in the mountains, and I literally heard a voice saying, when you go around this next corner, there will be a car sliding sideways at you. Uh, I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, that's never happened before. Not even once in my life. I came around the corner and there was a car sliding sideways at me. So I've just learned to trust that yeah. these things, we don't know how, we don't know why quantum physics tells us time and space are not linear. So as you say, keep quiet for deep inner guidance when possible. Yeah. It's
1: such a powerful concept. It's so powerful, as a matter of fact, that literally I believe in if you think about an inverted pyramid, Mm -hmm. we learn a lot of things and so on, and we sort of start to get down to that point where we can focus or we get it or we get a concept or we live by something. And that Keep quiet concept is something literally that is in every day of my life because it just says so many things. You can unpack that concept in so many different arenas and areas and both internally and externally. And when we move into keeping quiet internally, that's when we get the guidance. That's when we get the information about how to navigate so that we can reset our system. We get that information.
0: Mala, I just want to point out, though, you've been doing this for over four decades, right? I have. (laughs) She started when she was one. Um, (laughs) Thank you, we did. (laughs) The point is, I think a lot of beginners, when we say keep quiet, listen to inner guidance, That is a very uncomfortable place. Uh, Anxiety can come up. Fears can come up. Chatter can come up. Negative thoughts can come up. So just to say that this has taken, as we said, it's a work in progress over time. It may not be that you can drop into that quietude connected to your deepest inner guidance on your second meditation. This is something that the benefits grow over a lifetime. Right. Definitely. And I think that's why I use the concept
1: of an inverted pyramid, because we start at that top where everything is sort of not clear and there's a lot of information and we're figuring it out. And then just slowly, step by step over time, we start to understand and we can direct our lives in a much better way when we have a foundational philosophy, an intention about how we want to live our lives. And yes, step by step, inch by inch is how we do it. I didn't know this stuff so long ago when I started my yoga practices, and I'm so grateful for how this has become the foundation of my life and how I navigate things. And I'm not always successful. I mean, I I can get angry, I can get upset, or this or that. But I know the tools to get me back to that sattvic range, that ventral vagal complex of the parasympathetic nervous system. So it's not bad or wrong to go to being upset or angry or being depressed. It's just that we want to learn how to visit there not live there.
0: Have choice if you want to go there or not. Yeah, exactly. Because you can see it coming down the sidewalk at you and you can decide to duck in the alley and be like, yeah, not today, honey. Exactly. <laughs> I don't feel like it today. <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like completely discombobulating every hormone in my body and every brainwave and taking yeah. two days to recover. No, thank you. Exactly. <laughs> Doing yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... I know there's a lot of research out there supporting what we're talking about. And as we said, this is fairly new. In the last 10 years, it's exploding. If our listeners wanted to learn more and actually see some of this research, what would you recommend? Well, you mentioned
1: Dr. Richard Davidson earlier and University of Wisconsin in Madison. He actually founded the Center for Healthy Minds, And on their website, they have a whole listing of different types of research that they're doing at that center and they post the research also in the findings so research on compassion and empathy and what techniques and strategies activate empathy and compassion they have research that they're doing on infant development and how do we start with toddlers socializing toddlers, because we're going to get socialized one way or another. So doing it intentionally is really helpful. So they have information on their research that they've done on infant development and how can we shape that so that the nervous system has more resiliency and things like that. So lots of really good research on that. Website. There's also the National Institute for Complementary and Integrative Medicine. And that is a government-run agency, and lots of information from that website, also. So it's NCCIM, the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Medicine.
0: I'll post both of those in the show notes. And that podcast, "The Hidden Brain," that just came out on June fifth, twenty twenty three, is just an amazing. Their part two is coming out next week, so I'll post that. And then we also have a friend that is like a phenom, Shirley Tellis, who has been doing so much work for several decades now. Four hundred plus articles published and books, and really amazing work. Yeah,
1: she's so amazing. So yeah, definitely check out Dr. Shirley Tellis T-E-L-L-E-S. You know, check out her research for sure. And did I mention PubMed? No. If somebody is interested in a specific area of research, just Google Pub, P-U-B, and Med, M-E-D, and it takes you to a search engine. And you put in whatever you're interested in. You can put in cardiac issues and yoga or cancer and yoga or whatever. And a whole series of research articles will pop up.
0: Yeah. Well, Mala, I want to give you an opportunity to tell about many of the very popular courses that you teach all around these topics, because I think psychologists and yoga teachers, yoga therapists, even regular people could take your courses. So I want to give you time for that. But I also just want to drop a little drip to let people know that Mala and I have been developing something that is called Integrative Peer Counseling and Coaching Certification, Mental Health, Yoga, Neuroscience, and Human Connection. So, we're giving a seven day training. Three of the days will be online, the first three. And then a few weeks later, we'll get together in person for four days to kind of practice our coaching and counseling skills real time. But we are going to launch this next summer in 2024, towards the end of the summer. So, I just wanted to put that out there. It will be a continuing education course, seven days total, about 50 hours. And just in planning it with you, Mala, I am over the moon when I see our outline. It is phenomenal.
1: (laughs) So I'm so excited at what we're creating, because I think everybody knows that Mental health is the new pandemic, and Mm. it is just across the board the stress levels, and the anxiety, and the fear, and the threat, and the depression is just off the charts, especially with teenagers, young adults, but really everybody across the spectrum. So, I'm very excited about what we're doing and what we're developing. Some of the courses that I've developed. I basically have four signature courses. One is the mental health course and yoga that we're doing in neuroscience. But I'm also very excited because I, in the last several years, I've been doing a lot with neuroscience and yoga for a long time. And I finally decided to do a certification program in neuroscience and yoga. So people, anybody, public, the, you know, yoga teachers, yoga therapists, you know, mental health workers, anybody, is welcome to take the course. If you don't want to be certified, you can just take part one, which is online. And then part two, I talk about neuroscience and yoga, the intersection of what it means to heal and have agency, as well as how do you teach this stuff in your yoga classes, things like that. And then the other course that I teach is more in the lane of Medical yoga. So I specialize with heart patients, and the course is cardiac medical yoga teacher training course. So I've been doing that for almost 30 years now. (laughs) So it's really exciting. We've reached, I think we've tipped over into almost 2000 certified trained in cardiac medical yoga. And the hospitals and different cardiac rehab centers have been sending nurses and doctors for that training and so on.
0: So it's, it's exciting. Uh, a Lifetime body of work. I mean, this is the golden goose right here is like <laughs> doing what you love for decades and decades and also doing good in the world. I mean, that's that's what I'm going for. Yeah,
1: yeah. Thank you. And and my fourth course is bringing yoga into hospitals and academia. So training people how to do that. What are the steps? What do they need to know? How does it work? Who do you contact? Things like that.
0: So I'm excited. Yeah. And there's another really exciting announcement. There is a book happening. Tell us. Oh, my
1: goodness. Yes. Uh, I feel like I'm back in graduate school writing my dissertation. (laughs) But yes, I'm very excited. I'm writing a book. I've been commissioned to write a book on neuroscience and yoga. Not sure of the exact title yet. That'll be coming out next year in 2024. But it'll be for the public. But there'll also be a section of the book for yoga teachers and yoga therapists. And how do you deliver this to your students, your patients, and so on?
0: So yeah it's an exciting time. You're digging one well deeply the neuroscience and yoga well is is going very very deep. Yes.
1: Yes. Well actually they the publishing company originally commissioned me to write a book on cardiac medical yoga and mm-hmm. I asked them well you know neuroscience is really the hot topic out there right now it'd be nice if we did a book on neuroscience and yoga and they just yes. I'm like, Wonderful. (laughs) So yeah, it is very exciting. Thank you for asking about that.
0: Mala, you're one of the busiest women I know that's happily doing her work in a healthy way. I mean, you, you, every time I see you, you've got the same gentle smile and the same clear thinking and just going about your business, getting things done and I'm happy to call you my friend and, and role model for how to stay in balance.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And of course, I feel the same about you, Amy. You're so articulate and intelligent. You've really encapsulated the yoga teaching so beautifully. So it's an honor for you to be my friend, but also to work with you professionally. So thank you for having me today.
0: Thank you for coming. A big thank you to Mala Cunningham for being with us today. As she said, mental health is the new pandemic. Many people are saying the COVID pandemic is over, but what do we have left now, especially our young people? How are we going to help with the anxiety and the isolation and the depression? What is it that we can do for ourselves, but also our kids? And if you're a yoga teacher or a yoga therapist or a mental health care professional, what can you do to help us as individuals and as a society get back on our feet? I don't think just putting everyone on medication is the answer, not to say that some people don't need medication, they do. But what skills can we teach people to help them with their mindset, their intentionality, help them with soothing their anxiety through breathing techniques or meditation, help them with their depression. We are here for it. And we've got the neuroscience to show that it works. So everybody out there, yoga therapy and mental health, get busy. If you want more information about that, that is what our yoga therapy school specializes in. We're all about yoga therapy for mental health. So you can find out more at amywheeler.com and see the show notes. All right. Have a great day. A special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada, Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria, and Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.